Hi, everybody. My name is Michael Lee, and I'm a grateful alcoholic. And I don't want to hold it in my stomach and stand up really straight, so I just set that like that. <laughs> now I'm really much more relaxed. Oh, my God. Thanks, um, Troy, for recommending me. Where's Troy? Okay, I thought you split. <laughs> um, for, for recommending me and John and Tina for picking me up and um, was it Danetta? Danica, happy birthday and Tina, happy happy birthday a young, a long, one year's long if you've never done it, it's really long <laughs> overnight all weekend, every day so I see you got no cakes here to John poor John, it's at your birthday you guys don't do cakes out here, we clap over everything we're like maniacs out there, we're all so heavy you know, because we're eating a lot, we celebrate everything, so Okay, I want to welcome the newcomers, and I want to thank the old-timers. Are there any old-timers? Thank you. Hopefully. Christ. <laughs> I don't want to be the only old person here. I know when we walked up, I told John, I said, my Christ, they're like 12 years old. You know? <laughs> then I saw a few people with gray hair, so I felt better. <laughs> any service people out there? Veterans, thank you for your service. Happy Memorial Day. Clap. I, I love it. I just get up here and like boss people around and they do it. So and I go Sherry at dinner and thanks for free food. I always love that. We were talking about you know she was listening to my tape and um, or they don't have tapes anymore because it was a CD and she goes. Um, you know, make sure you tell the part about teaching primary um, in the Mormon church when I was actually a Catholic. And, um, <laughs> you know, and I was drinking wine in the bathroom because teaching primary can be stressful. <laughs> and, um, I was part of the Ladies Relief Society, which I just joined to learn how to make jam, which I didn't learn how to do that. And then I drink wine in the bathroom and have a cigarette. Um, and then blame it on the big kids. I'd walk out and somebody, nice, real Mormon, would go, oh my God, did you smell the smoke? I'd say, I saw some teenagers that were in there. <laughs> so I've since made my amends, but I'm, I'm just off. You know what I'm saying? There's just something wrong with me, and it's always been that way. Nothing new. Um... I want to welcome the addicts here. I just guess as a courtesy, um, I have a, a an issue with that, but I don't want to say anything because I'm a guest here. But I totally, if I was going to say something, what I would say is something like. Doing that, it just always cracks me up, but I think it's kind of like going to the Mormon church, standing up and saying, I'm a Catholic, and I would like to recite the Hail Mary. <laughs> Do you all know what the Hail Mary is? It's a Catholic no. thing. But um, not the women I sponsor alcoholic addicts, so I really... I just like to make fun of people. It's one of my <laughs> characteristics that usually offend somebody throughout the meeting. And I've gotten so old here that I don't care, <laughs> basically. My sobriety date is June 30th, 1982. And um, that's a long time. And I just want to tell the newcomers relapse is not mandatory and it doesn't have to be part of your recovery. So that's just been my experience. If somebody like me can make it, anybody can make it and stay. Um, I was only serious about this for about two hours. You know, I made the call, that desperate call. And I was, swear to God, serious. I didn't even know to call AA. That was God's grace for sure. And then two hours later, you realize you've overreacted. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd already given them my address, so they're coming to get me, you know. So that's kind of how I got here for almost 29 years. And um, I was actually raised in Phoenix. I was born in Houston, raised in Phoenix, and um, I'm a Catholic school kid. 
and I'm a product of a generation that um, if you're neurotic and you go to Catholic school and you're a Catholic school kid, you, you know, and you're neurotic, um, you're usually going to become a nun. And that's what I was going to do. Um, one, I love black and white. I love the colors. I totally thought that would be me. Um, and I love that whole ambiance, candles and statues and confession. I just totally was into all that. I just thought it was very cool, the mystique of it all. And I was raised at St. Agnes and... Um, and I come from five generations of alcoholics, and I don't really like alcoholics. They upset me because they're just, they're very hurtful people. I don't know if you've ever met any, but they just make <laughs> a mess. And I would have never become one on purpose. And if you're powerless over alcohol, and you have the power of progression of uh, alcoholism, then you're going to hurt a bunch of people, and it won't be your intent. It'll look like it's your intent, but it isn't. I had alcoholism without my permission. I had it with my full participation, but I didn't have it with my permission. It wasn't where I was going. I was going to be a nun, and I was going to be like anybody else that I knew that hurt people. I was just going to be an incredible nun. I was going to join an order called the Blessed Virgin Mary Order. The acronym was the BBMs, and the BBMs were very cool nuns and everybody wore a habit in those days and they made you feel guilty for breathing I mean they had it down <laughs> to the science you know and that was the order I was going to be in and um, and I just kind of grew up and it, you know I got to be honest with you it wouldn't have mattered if I would have been raised by Jesus Mary and Joseph or the Charles Manson family I swear to God I'm convinced of that now I'm off I've always been off. I was born off. And I can tell you a childhood, <laughs> whatever, but I'm bored with it. Um, they couldn't have won. They basically is the bottom of line. They weren't perfect people, but they could not have won with me. Nothing was enough and nothing was right, and I heard everything different. So I have no issue with that. No issue with that. But I was neurotic, and I knew I was off. And it sucks when you know you're off at such a young age. I mean, I could have joined this at five or something, you know, based on how I felt. Self-obsessed. I was driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-pity, self-seeking, and self-delusion. At five, I've always been like that. I didn't want to be. I mean, I would have never picked. How do you want to be? Well, I hope I'm driven by a hundred forms of fear. You know, really. Totally obsessed with myself and really off. You know, I'm going for that. I just like this. So, of course, you're going to be a nun. But, you know, I went to my first party where there were no nuns present. And um, <laughs> drank for the first time, which I never drank. And uh, the next day, I couldn't be a nun. Get it? She <laughs> 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 looks like such a sweet young thing right here, <laughs> here so that means you're not. <laughs> um, and I don't know if you're a good alcoholic, you know, what you got always is a backup plan. You know, if plan A doesn't work, you got plan B going for you. If plan B looks like it's going to bomb, get plan C. And so I was going to be a nun, but I couldn't be a nun. And so I became a go-to-go dancer. And that was my backup plan. I mean, it fell into my lap, you know. And this girl that I knew, you know, I said, I need cash, basically. I think I said I needed cash because I had decided um, to come to California. And I was in Phoenix and growing up in Phoenix. And I was almost 14. I was very mature for my age, you know. <laughs> I decided I needed cash and I wanted to come to California. And so you need cash for that. And um, 
So she said, well, I'm gassing up this bar called the Pirate's Den, and minimum wage then was 65 cents an hour. And she said, I'm making $4 an hour cash plus tips. I went, I'm a go-go dancer. I mean, what are the odds of that? And there was an opening, and... Oh, my God. You know, yeah, it was pretty. Um, here I'm in a little Catholic school. And then now I'm in stilettos and fishnet hose and not a lot of other things. But four bucks cash are pretty flexible. And I, that's what I did, you know. I think it was almost eight months. And that's so much money. I mean... If you think about it, that's a lot of money. And um, I saved probably almost $800, which was a fortune in 1965. 1964, that's a lot of money. I was a good dancer. I really wasn't even that good. I was like a legend in my mind, you know. <laughs> but drunk people will tip good. That's the truth, you know. They're drunk. You're half naked, they'll give you cash. You know? <laughs> and I like, I like this job. <laughs> but I wasn't cut out for sin. I was cut out for goodness, and I knew that. And I, you know, got my cash, and I decided to come to California to marry a sailor because they were flexible and open, you know, and willing. And um, <laughs> I was almost 15, and I got myself an airline ticket. And I don't know how long airline jets had started, but Sky Harbor Airport, has anybody ever been to the airport in Phoenix? Mm -hmm. It's huge. Sky Harbor Airport was this big when I left home. <laughs> Maybe it was this big. And the plane would be out there, and you had to walk on the cement or the asphalt, whatever they called it, to get on the plane. And there I go with my cash, and I got a Jacqueline Kennedy suit, which was very chic. <laughs> and um, I got a pair of high heels. I'd never been in high heels till I was a go-go dancer, so now I knew how to wear those. And here's this mom, and her name was Donna Reed, and she was on TV. She was my idol. She wore pearls. And she was such a good wife and such a good mom. And she was just a good little goodness person. And I decided that was going to be what I was. And I had to get a sailor to marry me first. And I went to the Pickwick Hotel, which is downtown San Diego. And I got a sailor. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And we got a puppy and a baby. I mean, I really wasn't sure. I'd only seen so many episodes. Um, but I kind of got the general idea of what you do to go happily ever after and be a grown-up. You know what I mean? It didn't, being a kid was stressful on me. It, uh, it was stressful. I don't know. Being young when you're not normal. Oh, my God, it's so flippin' exhausting. And other people look like they're normal, and they're just playing bouncy ball, and I'm pensive. I'm thinking about myself. <laughs> you know, they were just out playing dodgeball and stuff, not being thinking, you know. And so when I looked at the grown-up deal, especially on TV, and I thought, that does not look that stressful to me. It looks like a cakewalk. You get a puppy... Baby, subscribe to Parents Magazine, make a meatloaf. I mean, it's not rocket science. <laughs> that was my story. That's what I did. <laughs> Pretty much for the next 20 years. Um, I, this is how I like guys. So watch out if you're out there. I love good-looking alcoholics with potential. <laughs> you just have to have potential. You have to be good-looking. Already checked Austin out, a little young, but and I like him. I like him a lot. I just, you know, he, he was gonna be like, you know, our house was gonna be like Ozzy and Harriet. You know, only Ozzy wasn't bringing home ice cream, and he was in the Navy, and they drank quite a bit. And I really didn't drink too much over the next fifteen. 16 years, it really wasn't my story. I was episodic. 
I was such a periodic that you couldn't pick up a pattern. What I was consistent about was I was a martyr. And I'd like to welcome any Al-Anons that are sitting out there. You know, I wanted to just be an Al-Anon. You know, we're the good ones, they're the bad ones. We forgive them, they're bad. <laughs> then we get a couch. I loved it, you know. I mean, I got a lot of furniture out of guilt, you know. <laughs> and um, I just kind of liked the whole thing. And I'd be the good one. And people go, oh, my gosh, I don't know how you do it. And I didn't either, you know. <laughs> but that was my story. And I... Um, we were laughing at dinner. I've never actually been to high school. I mean, I went to the campus, um, <laughs> basically to French kiss this guy named Daryl and um, smoke cigarettes. I mean, that was basically why I stopped by the campus. Totally stressed me out looking at the whole atmosphere. And so that's why I went to the bar and danced in the bar and um, gave up go-go money to come to California. It just wasn't my shtick, you know. I mean, I didn't fit in blend well in elementary or middle school, but I certainly, high school looked like I'd commit suicide or jump off a bridge or something. I don't know if I was focused enough to commit suicide, but... Boom, freak show. So I, I didn't go. Um, I am a good liar, though. I'm not now. I could be. I mean, I have the potential to be, but I don't. But then what I did was like creative truth. I was like, if, if, if this were true, if this was what I wanted to be true, this would be the truth. And so what I did was I enrolled in City College because I thought, and I said I'd gone to this high school, which I had, and, and I put the year I would have graduated had I actually attended. And that's how we got into everything. My resume was not true or honest until I was seven years sober. I had degrees, man, University of Michigan, because I, I took 52 credits there of healthcare management. So that's like, a, for me, that's like a degree. <laughs> and then they said, then I found out it was Michigan University, not University. I didn't even know where it was, but whatever, I was inside, and um, I was a poli-sci major, which I really didn't know what poli-sci was, but I knew that that was a very cool thing. And so that's what I, I'd gone to a workshop on something unrelated at San Diego State, and so I just put on a poli-sci major at they loved that. And they didn't have computers in, so they just would go, wow. And I'd go, no kidding. <laughs> I'm impressed. I haven't even done any of that. But I, was, I was honing my truth, which was all crap, basically. I mean, I just, what I was trying to do is, and I don't know if you've done this, but if you ever try to act like you're a legitimate person when you're really not one, there are legitimate people out there. They actually did go to school. They actually did do this. They, this actually happened to them. You know, they actually got married as a virgin. I mean, it was like to me. I'm not one of those. And I don't want everybody to know everything. You know, at that point in my life, so I created my legitimacy, and it was impressive. And I've been in healthcare management now for almost 41 years. So, they don't care. <laughs> I do what I do. I'm good at it, but whatever. You know, I just, it just looks too hard. Doing what I do well, it didn't look hard. I could just do it. But, ooh, all of the classes and stuff, it was just, too. <laughs> what if I can't do it, you know, what I'm already doing? So, it was just, <laughs> I'd rather just lie. And as a Girl Scout leader for years, I was a den mother. Um, we went to Catholic Church, Our Lady of Grace. We went to, I taught primary in the Mormon Church for three years and baked bread and hung with the Mormons, you know. I, I wasn't like them, you know. And every once in a while I'd have a little bit of wine or a cigarette there in the bathroom and blame it on teenagers. But I totally dug 
making jam and family home evening. And I just thought that a lot of this is very cool. Couldn't buy the whole deal, but I just liked it. I just thought that was so good for the kids. And he'd misbehave and I'd be good. And then I'd forgive him and then we'd get to go camping. And basically that's what my life was like. And I'd get drunk at the ER Christmas party. I worked at ER for 13 years and I get drunk at the ER Christmas party and it was like from four daiquiris, you know, and they had to be weak. And it just didn't look like I was going to be the one with the problem. He was a bad one. We kind of made a deal and he would misbehave and I would be good and I would forgive him and I'd be a martyr and I'd come through on every area and he would fall short sometimes, but I'd forgive him. Love forgiving. Because you can usually get stuff out of it. <laughs> no, because I'm good. I did that. And that's really what our life was like. You know, that was what our life was like. And and when I think about it, the only thing that I know for sure that was true is I really love my kids. They did make me whole and complete. They mattered to me. Their happiness, their self-esteem, their self-worth, all of it mattered to me. And I was devastated by the divorce, and I had to do it, because he was going to wreck my happily ever after family, and I couldn't let him. I couldn't. And so then I realized I was the only divorced woman in La Mesa. The only one. Nobody else had failed. Me. I was the only one in the whole city. And they all knew. Everybody knew. People didn't even care knew. I knew that they knew. And I just, I couldn't handle that. I felt so bad. And then he had moved to Coronado to find himself with her. And I had all these kids because I was totally into the Waltons at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Jesus. TV, that's my life, you know. And um, so I got into like creative financing because if you don't get child support and you don't want to deprive your children of anything, you spend money at them. I'll show him. They are not. Anyway, I called it creative financing. Somebody else called it fraud, whatever. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think that's that bad. I mean, it was like, I said, well, I'm not on welfare. No, but you're committing a crime. And I was like, fine. Fortunately, I knew the president of my bank. I served on a board with him. And so instead of doing jail time, he just would threaten to close my account and then end up loaning me money. And I loved him. He was a good man. And then finally he just said, you can't, I want you to bring in all your checks. And he wasn't just like happy to close my account. He wanted me to bring him the checks. Because you have checks, what do you do? Doesn't matter if the account's closed, does it? <laughs> if they're dumb enough to, and they didn't run them through little machines then they just looked at you and if you look like a legitimate person they take your check I, I probably look less legitimate today than when I was pretending to be legitimate you know but that's what it was like and then finally alcohol fixed me and it fixed me different I wasn't visiting at one conference or visiting at an ER Christmas party. I was so broke and raw that it was the perfect opportunity for alcoholism to just get me good. And I've been trying, and in retrospect, I saw that then, later on, but I didn't get it. I didn't see that these other episodes I had and my martyrdom, I've always been trying to fill a hole up inside of me with something. I take in foster kids, I'd be a Girl Scout leader, we're working in the ER, I would do anything I could to fill up the hole so I'd be legitimate and whole and complete. And um, when all that starts, quits working, and I think that the divorce really was the catalyst to just really let me know that everybody knew now I was faking. I wasn't a great wife, I couldn't have been, why would this have happened? You know, I wasn't a good mom. I couldn't provide financially for my family the way I should have been able to. La, 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 la. So driven by a hundred forms of fear, 
self-pity, self-seeking, and self-delusion. Um, I made such a mess. But my girlfriend introduced me to wine after work. And I had needed a, a lot of drinks for a long time. I was, I'm surprised I didn't just jump off of the roof, although we lived in a one-story home. It was bad. And I was, like, working all day in the ER and then coming home, grabbing this one to get her to dance, this one to gymnastics, this one here. And that's what my second shift looked like. And my neighbor just was like, she goes, you need to come over and have a glass of wine with me on the front porch when you get off work. And it's a good wine and yaddy, yaddy, yaddy. And I didn't really like wine. I didn't really like drinking that much. I, especially if it tasted like alcohol. I didn't really like that that much. But I thought I do need to take a, like a 10 or 15 minute break in between. And, and, and just go in there and help me start to relax a little bit. And I didn't like love the wine. But with fine wines, you acquire taste. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> you know um, I thought I do love this now that I think about it I love this a lot and I started relaxing I started to relax and it was kind of something happened kind of like the third step deal where I started to kind of know something and feel a sense of something that I'd never felt before and it was a quiet place my head wasn't spinning my heart wasn't beating I didn't have a knot in my gut. I was relaxed for the very first time in my life. And if you've ever been tense and then you get relaxed, wouldn't you want to do that again? Hello, it's not rocket science, you know. It's like, of course. And um, I would say, well, I might have taken yoga. Right. Um, but I acquired such a taste for this good wine and she didn't have a drinking problem. She'd have a, a glass of wine and sip it. A glass of good wine and sip it. Fascinating. And so one day I went over there for my break. And she had a box of wine sitting on the thing. And I'd never seen that. I said, what is that? She goes, I got you a box of wine. I went, oh, my God, this is so cool. You know, and it's got a spigot. You know, I love spigots. I mean, it's just easy. You know, no cork, no getting it together, no skinny little bottle. This is a box. And she goes, it's all for you. And we'll keep it in the fridge because I didn't want alcohol at my house or around my kids because of their bad fathers. And I went, oh my God, you know. I mean, she was a good friend, a box of wine. Because she couldn't afford the fact that I had acquired a taste for a good wine. <laughs> and so that's what happened. And the progressive disease of alcoholism, and for a very short period of time, it made me better. It made me relax. It kind of, in a way, I almost got hopeful. Because if you relax, and you can regroup. I'd relax and kind of regroup and refocus and, okay, I can do this. And I just keep, and I kept drinking more and more. And I didn't know I had the progressive disease of alcoholics. I know what they're like. I'm not like that. And then all of a sudden, those kids were getting on my nerves. <laughs> I don't know if you've had kids, but they're very selfish people. <laughs> and they want dinner. And I'm the only carpool mom. Can't somebody else carpool? And I didn't know why I was changing. I thought that they had just gotten more selfish. I really did. I didn't know any of the things I know today. Because I would have never hurt them on purpose. I love them. That was my purpose. But now realizing how selfish they were, they're kind of screwed up too, which I was sure was their father's fault. And um, and I was trying to figure out what to do. And then I realized, you know, I shouldn't drink because they're seeing me drink now. And I had to hide it because of their father's drinking. When he was there, they they didn't like his drinking. So I, I was just using it to relax a little bit. So I'd hide it, hide it so that they wouldn't see it because I didn't want to upset him, which is a good mother thing to do, in my mind. And now I know that's a sign, too. And that's what happened. I started to destroy everything and everybody, 
and started drinking at work. This time, um, 29 years ago, I had just been a company-owned our hospital and several other hospitals. And that company called me to see if I wanted to head up this hospital division for this other portion of their company based on my reputation from some period back. They didn't know what had been happening to me over the years, or especially the last couple of years. So they didn't know, so they had hired me. They said, would you be willing to come here? And I was like, yeah, because I was starting to go in late to work and do things I'd never done before, nor would I ever, because that's not responsible. And, and so I went to work for them, and it was just, it was a big job way over my head and I was really good at it. I was amazingly good at it. It just surprised me. And so I had just started that job probably three months before I got sober. I'd been around the same time I was diagnosed with acute alcohol poisoning. Fascinating. When you're so good at being a fake person that you can pull off a promotion. I mean, it was like, it was amazing to me. And um, June 29th is my regular birthday, and I was wrecking everything, and I was hurting everybody. I also was not into mail. I didn't open mail for quite a while. Mail makes me nervous. I still don't love mail, but I'll open it every day. But then I was like, if you don't open it, you don't owe it. My mentality, why fuck yourself out if you're not going to pay it anyway? Chill. So that was kind of how I was thinking. Anyway, it was bad. And uh, the kids didn't want me to drink on my birthday because they were making me birthday breakfast. Another thing from the Waltons that we did. And uh, from Waltons Mountain, on your birthday, they all sing the birthday song and bring you breakfast in bed, and you have no chores on Waltons Mountain on your birthday. So that's what we did at my house. <laughs> only I'm dying of alcoholism. I've only been in bed three hours. I have to throw up before I can drink water in the morning because... I'm sick. I've got the progressive disease of alcoholism that has progressed to a point where I'm probably carrying a 0.25 minimum blood alcohol level. Any day I've started drinking at work because I can't wait till 5. Gin and tonic and Tupperware I didn't think was like that big of a deal. <laughs> kind of a mom thing, you know. <laughs> Too long to wait till 5. I mean, it was just crazy. And I couldn't go all day without a drink, so I had a drink. And I came to it um, in the middle of the night, and I didn't know where I was. I didn't know where the kids were, and that had never happened before. And I got scared. I got scared different, and I knew it was over. And I didn't know what I didn't know about you. I didn't know about Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know about any of it. And I said, God, if you're there, and I'm not sure, um, I need help. This is so bad. And I got up, and I remember walking around to see where I was and some friends apparently had been called to come get me out of the bar then they dropped me off at their house and put me in their guest room and then gone to get the kids who were all in the family room and so I felt better that they were safe and I knew where I was then and I just sat there and um, God's grace for me is God does for me what I can't do for myself or what I don't know to do for myself. He has never done anything I could do for myself. But he has always done everything I can't do for myself. And what I didn't know to do was come here. I didn't know. And so it was like, I think it's God's grace. I call it, which is so weird. And I tell this, this lady named Flo 12 sent me that day. And I tell this person who I don't even know the truth, which I'd never done to anybody. I mean, I'm just vomiting more information, I'm sure, than she actually wanted to hear, but I'm just like, what? She asked me, and I, I told her, and it was bad, and I'm just like, this is so bad, and this is what's happened, and I'm a terrible person, I'm a terrible mother, and I'm let and she says, it's going to be okay. I'm going to take you to be an AA. I went, okay. I'll be an AA. She goes, I want you to call me today before you drink. And I'll pick you up tonight. And I said, 
oh, I'm not going to drink. I'm never drinking. That's, I'm going to be an AA. Totally into this. And, uh, and she did make it sound good. And you know how you go two hours later? I mean, I want to be an AA. Cause she, and she was nice, but... I'm actually going to need to drink something. <laughs> Not a lot. Not a lot. Just like a little bit. Because I'm like more tense. My neck's pulsing. I'm freaking out here. You know. But I, being naive, I just thought, it's a rule. You have to call first. Just the way she said it made me think it was a rule. And that, you know, like once they say they'll help you and they have your address, like you have to call them first. Because she said, call first, call before you drink. Which to me meant you can drink, they just want you to call first. Check, <laughs> check in, you know. So I called her and I said, you know, I want to be an A still, you know. And, um, but I'm very stressed out this way. I don't know what's going on. I'm just really upset and I just... You know, I'm going to have a, like a glass of wine and a wine glass. I mean, it's not like I'm drinking out of the bottle, for Christ's sake. And, you know, I'm trying to get this thing going. And she goes, wham, 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 No idea what she said. But at the end of the call, I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to drink. Hell, look at... And I'm totally focused. I am not going to drink no matter what. No matter what. And um, and then two hours later, it's like labor pains. <laughs> you know, where you think you're good, and then, you know. And, like, ah! and that's what happened. It was like that again. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm not going to make it. And this time for sure, you know, this is like, I'm going to have to drink something because now I'm getting shaky and weird and, you know, really shaky, like embarrassing. And nobody's even looking at me, you know. It's really embarrassing. <laughs> So I call first because it's a room. And I explained her name was Flo. I said, I was trying to explain. Like she doesn't completely understand my dilemma. You know, because I don't know what your trip is here. I just know I am not going to be able to make it all day. I mean, it's not like I have a try for crying. I'm sweating, you know, from trying to be not drinking and I'm exhausted, and I'm just like, so, and then she goes, wham, 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 and I go, I don't want to drink. Drinking's bad. I want to be an AA. I mean, that's, I said I would be an AA. I mean, the kids are, no, I have to be an AA. Hold it. And then, now I got it. You know, now it's like I'm totally committed. And, um, two hours later. And then I realized that you have to put your foot down with these people. They're like, Flipping cult people. <laughs> they know where you live and they, you know, they brainwash you and they like candles or something. I don't know what they're like. But I am going to be an AA and drink. Because I wanted to be an AA. Because she made it sound good and quiet and peaceful and relaxing and that I'd be okay. And she gave me this punk AA talk. But, you know, to be in a sober just looked like too much of a stretch, you know, and it's like, it's just too much, and it's like long, and just, so this time I put my foot down, I'm not going to buy into her little whatever she, trip she's on, and I can be an AA and drink a glass of wine if I feel like it. You have to get an attitude, you know, like if you're going to go back out, because once they've been really nice to you, you're going to feel kind of bad, you know. But what I said was, if you don't hurry and get here, I won't be able to be an AA. <laughs> How pathetic is that? And I was not going to say that. And she's like at the door. Like, once they have your address, they're sitting across the street from your house or something, waiting for that last phone call when you're just gonna ready to jump. And she was like, they're fast. And she babysat me till my first meeting. There's United Channel Road Lakeside. That's a long day. And I didn't know what your little thing was here. And, oh, my God, it was embarrassing, you know, to have to join.
this. <laughs> and um, some guy named Joe had 30 days and said, my name's Joe, I have 30 days. And everybody clapped and I thought, oh my God, you know, you have to say your name, you're an alcoholic, and tell him how much time you have. I'm like, My clean alcoholic, I have 11 hours. <laughs> but they totally gave me a bigger round of applause than they did Joe with his 30 days. I mean, only in the hours, you know. I was like, whoa, you know. I'm like feeling kind of better for five seconds, you know. They were so proud of me. So I went, and I was awake, because I didn't know if you counted sleeping time, awake time. I would work here, but I wanted credit for the whole 11 hours. I was awake and sober. And, uh, and I joined that night. I mean, anybody that's really proud of you after what you've been doing and clapping for you, I would join it if I were you. Because they're not clapping for us out there. They're not proud of us. They think we're bad. And uh, in here, we just clap for everything, you know. Didn't beat the dog today. Good job, Joe. Yeah, we're totally into this. So weird. And that's how I got sober. That was how I got sober. And they still had the job in the house and the kids and the stuff. And um, and they have a meeting after the meeting. Everybody would go have coffee and some caffeine didn't keep me up at night. And it was like, and all these people were so nice to me. And it was so long every day to be sober, but they knew that. They got how long a whole day is and overnight sober without anything. And they were just nice to me, and they said, go to two or three meetings a day right now, and I said, well, I have a job, and, you know, well, you can get these two in, well, I have kids. Well, it's so funny, when, you, when you're drinking, it's like, screw the job, you know, drink or when kids, or whatever, I'm a kid. But now that I'm sober, I must be very responsible, you know. Like, but I'm sitting at my job, and I'm probably two weeks sober, and I'm looking at my stuff on my big desk, in this office, and I realized I wasn't actually qualified for this job. I don't even know how I got the job, to tell you the truth. And I, I had, I've been doing this for 13 years. I mean, it's like, whoa, don't get it. And I can't be here. I mean, dude. And I just start sweating, you know. And so I walk into the director, and I said, I'm an alcoholic. She went, really? Oh, yeah, I'm bad. I was even drinking here. I had to join AA. <laughs> really? I said, oh, yeah. I'm in AA now. And um, I have to go. You know, I have to go now. I can't be and she goes, you know, take the rest of the day off. This is good. You know, I went, no, I, I think I'm going to have to quit. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to work and be an AA. I'm just too much. I do this. I can't. And it's. It's long. I mean, it's like bad enough if you're not working and sober, but working and being sober is just too much. It was too much for me anyway. And some people I know stay employed. I'm really proud of you, whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't my story. I can't function sober. It was a freak show. And I went home and I sat in my middle patient rocking chair. I got 180 miles an hour. Just nowhere. You know, it's like, yeah. You know, and the kids are like walking by going, what, if, you know, what happened? I went, I can't work. I'm in a, you know, I can't. <laughs> and I'm not actually qualified for the job. I mean, I was like, it's a lie. I just, what? I said, if I'm really good at it, I'll be a trash girl at the Tuesday night meeting in a week. And I have to have 30 days. And I just sort of, I'm person. And my sponsor, the lady that was to become my sponsor, said, you know, some are sicker than others. I said, I know. Look at them, they're, it's sad. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to pick them out, you know. It's like, look at them, you know. I didn't know she met me. I didn't know she I just wait to be in the next meeting of AA. And, and pretty soon they're coming, apparently, 
a box of mail was at the post office of don't want to open it because if you open it, you owe it. If you don't open it, you don't owe it and you won't get stressed. But they will take your home. <laughs> Apparently, that was one of the pieces of mail that they kept sending me that I didn't want to open. <laughs> and um, the, they will take your car. They will relieve you of all your worldly possessions for failure to open mail. Now, when I talk about it, it sounds so innocent. Don't open your mail. But when they talk about it, it's like bad, you know. And pretty soon the kids are going, what is happening? I said, I don't know. I'm in AA now. They were giving me mail, but I didn't get it opened, and it's just so tired, you know. It's just an AA, and it's so hard to be sober all day. Like, we're going to go to Dad's just while you're in AA. And I said, you know, give me a couple weeks. They got 12 things they want me to do. It's like not walking. It's not like asked, you know. It's like, whoa, it's a, it's a book, you know. It's 164 pages, and they have like little sob stories in the back and 12 things are there and you have to take out the trash or stuff. It's not a big deal thing. You know, give me a couple weeks. It was the summer of 82 and it's like go to Coronado and you know, be at your dad's. He had gotten sober with a chick called Terry Cole Whitaker. It was a very new age um, minister out in San Diego who was the rich get richer rah-rah and but he'd gotten sober that way and he and his wife and they were in Coronado and I just thought go be at the beach let me just be in AA for two or three more weeks and I'll, I'll figure all this out you know fake resumes are a dime a dozen I can I could probably even go back apparently it was so good I could have gone back and but in two more weeks I wasn't better and I couldn't figure out how to get back to work, and I couldn't figure out how to get the house, and I, it was too much, and I just let it all go, only because I couldn't figure out how to not. And so they just made me, where I got sober, if you whined, you got a service commitment. And I had about 55 service commitments per week, it seemed like. You know, I'd be the trash girl and the chair girl and the coffee cup girl, and then I was young, then it was the ticket girl, or the ticket girl at Saturday Night Speakers, and I really just thought it was cool. I was going to have a summer, going to take the steps and totally get into the God thing. Um, but first, um, I had to have a place to live. And so somebody gave me a 14-foot camping trailer. I'm not really a camper. Um, <laughs> to live in in their front yard. 14-foot is like short. <laughs> and it's almost round. It's nondescript. And you have red shack carpeting, which is not one of my colors. And this thing, they wanted me to, I thought they meant a mobile home, and I actually didn't want to live in a mobile home. Even though it was free, it wasn't a mobile home. It was a round piece of metal <laughs> with red shack carpeting and a thing called propane, which I'd never even heard of. And um, somebody brought me a bicycle. So I could get to meetings, a raw, I'm not really a bicyclist either, you know, and I'm like a, not a camper, not a bicyclist. And I started finding these, you know, gifts from God. That's what your sponsor calls it when you're getting screwed. <laughs> oh, that's a gift from God. That's a gift. That's a miracle. That's a gift. You know it's not a gift. But they're convincing you that it's God. God hates my gut thing because this is a nightmare. And I sell a classman riding a bicycle, living in a tin can. The kids are in Coronado with him while he's binding himself. I'm like... I don't even know. I just realized that what I really needed was on the inside, and I needed a boyfriend to be an AA with me. A good AA person, and I wanted to go to AA dances, and I wanted to get laid, basically, and, and be close to God. And I needed a guy with a MasterCard and a car. I didn't have high standards. Just a running automobile and a credit card. And I could survive AA sober, you know. It's like, and I couldn't get a date. 
my daughter who said it was a gift. <laughs> and I don't know if it was because I was like plasma bandage on my arm and she half of the lure the bicycle. I mean, I, know, I thought it was hot, you know, but apparently I was not bringing him in. And I ride my bicycle to Taco Leo's at night because that's where the payphone was and and I just cry. I just I mean, how many of us break down and I'd sit in the camping trailer because it had no running water. I had a hose outside I had to bring in. <laughs> and I had no phone. I had no television and no radio. And she would say, ask God to hold you tonight. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> uh, I don't think you really understand my knees. I've <laughs> got a furry chest, and then I'll pray. I mean, I just gotta have something here going to, so I can be spiritual. I mean, I'll take this step. I'll do anything. And she said, "Ask God to hold you tonight." And so I started doing it flippantly. You know, dear God, please hold me tonight because I can't get a date. And if you don't, I'll kill myself. <laughs> I'll leave a note and say, I asked you, and you didn't help me. And I was very dramatic because I was serious. I meant it. But there's someplace secret in your relationship with God that nobody, you don't have to be cool. And I definitely was in that place where I didn't have to be cool. That was probably my most authentic self ever, my most real self. It was almost like a childlike vulnerability that was a secret. And I just exposed myself um, to God. And I got into God letters. And that's what I have the ladies I sponsor do, and that's what I was told to do. And keep writing these letters every single day, and pretty soon there'd be a relationship there. And I started doing that, and pretty soon there was a relationship. Very freaky, but it was working, and I felt a little <coughs> less nuts, and a little bit more focused, and a little bit more comfortable, and I could be alone for 18 minutes without having a meltdown, and having to be somewhere in a hurry. I mean, I could go to 50 meetings in one day, rather than spend five minutes alone with me. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous in good standing, and I'm taking the steps, and I'm, I'm doing it. I have service commitments, and I'm meeting with my sponsor, and I'm not thinking about a boyfriend, and I want the kids to come home, but and when I have something to offer them, obviously I can't have them there. Um, an old-timer got me making sandwiches in a deli. He said, you've been a mom, you can make a sandwich. Of a friend, you can start tomorrow. And I went, um, I have a healthcare background. And he goes, You have no job, no phone, no transportation, and no way to really create a fake resume right now. So you're starting tomorrow. That's what my first year was like. It was like, no phone, write to the pay phone and call your sponsor. And so as I was taking these steps, I started having something happen to me. And um, I don't want to toot my own horn, but you do. I was starting to get this thing here like it made sense. Like the four step made sense. You know, like it was really going to be about my side of the street. I got to tell you about theirs, but I was really going to look for my role in things, which I'd never been willing to do because I was a professional victim. And victims can get away with a lot of crap. Um, people that work through that can't. You've got to take some ownership over who you are, what you're about, and where you're going. And so I was reluctant to do that. And then I started taking the sixth and seventh step. When I got to my eighth and ninth step, I need to tell you, I tried to be painstaking about this. I had let a pizza bill go from probably $12, we'll say. I, I make up amounts because I really don't remember it was a long time ago, to like $200 because they put it in collection and then every month it compounds. It was, it was a very expensive pizza night for the children, <laughs> but I had a check and pizza for everybody, bringing in the neighbors, who cares? I, I had to make financial amends that were big and were little 
but I didn't have to make them all at once and my sponsor would just work off of that list and say, let's take this one. Let's send them $2. Let's do this. And everybody worked with me amazingly enough. And then I was going through people and <coughs> my mom had died when I was young. I also got my sister to raise when I was 21 years old. And um, she's actually only two years older than my oldest daughter. And uh, you know, she's 46, my oldest daughter's 44, next son's 42, my next child is 35, my next one's 33. So they're from 33 to 46. It's a stretch. That was my family. Um, I just, I got to my ninth step and I had to go to Texas and see my dad. My dad and I had a broken relationship and of course it was his fault because I was wonderful. Except with this stupid inventory trip I was on, it was kind of like I'd always wanted him to be somebody different and I wanted to be the way I was. And I always wanted him to be a great father, but I was never a great daughter. And I wanted him to remember my birthday, but I wasn't, I thought his birthday might be in October. And it went on from there. I wanted him to know me and accept me. I had no idea who this guy was. So I fly to Texas. That's where my dad is. And I'm going to make amends because I'm sorry. I am sorry not for his side of the street. I'm sorry for mine. And I want to try to make it right. And I want to find out who he is. And I want to thank him for trying to put me in private school and Catholic school and give me a good education and laddie, laddie, laddie. And I'm ready to do it. And I go there and I meet with my mom's sister who's and um and I'm getting ready, I'm feeling very spiritual. I was five years sober by then and um this was my biggest one and the hardest one. And and so I'm telling her, you know, I said it's just so weird and I'm gonna go Mene now and I'm gonna go make my men to blah 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 and she goes and I said, But it was like we weren't connected right. And she goes, oh, honey, that's not even your real daddy. Um. <coughs> what? She goes, that's not your real daddy. She goes, you, dear, you didn't know that? Oh, I'm sorry, honey. I thought you knew one anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know what a freak show you can be at five. I mean, you can imagine what I was like. I'm like, I'm not German. <laughs> That's what I said. I'm not German. She goes, no, you're Greek or a Jew. I'm never, never going to remember. But it was a restaurant owner where your mama was a waitress, honey. This is how they are in Texas. I'm like, I am Greek or Jewish? I'm not German. I don't look like German people in our family, but it never occurred to me I wasn't German. My main name was Dreheim. I mean, Christ, how much more German. That's something. You couldn't even believe it. And she said, well, I'm sorry, honey. It looks like I upset you. <laughs> so I raced over to the Legacy Club right outside of Houston. And I, there's this old time when they got sober the year I was born. And, and I'm racing in like Kramer to tell her this thing before I go see my dad. I'm not really my dad. Yeah, I'm a Greek or a Jew. I'm a, my mother, you know, my mother did this. And I, my dad and I, ugh. And she looked at me like I was nuts. She said, honey, a daddy's a daddy. Just get over it. I'm like, you know, I mean, California, that's Oprah material. In Texas, they don't care. You've already bored them with the drama of it all. She goes, let's just have a meeting on acceptance tonight. Little California girls got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what they did. And I swear to God, double Bible, at the end of the meeting, it was fine. It was fine. It was fine. That was my dad. That was the trip. This was my amends. If if they did it to protect me or without telling me, then they must have had a good reason. My mom went to her grave with it, and I wasn't going to tell my dad I knew. I was just going to go clean up my side of the street with my dad.
And that's what I was able to do. Phew, that's huge for me. And I went and I and he just looked at me and I said, I'm so <coughs> sorry. And um, I said, I want a chance to be a good daughter. And he just looked at me. He had never seen me think about him. He'd never think, seen me think about anybody that wasn't in somehow relation in relationship to myself. These people were just there to make me happy. That's what I think I thought. I didn't know who they were, what they needed, where they came from, nothing. And for the next few years, I got to know my dad before he died. It was amazing. I got to ask him questions about when I was little, and I, it was he was an amazing person. And I and I got to be there, and he died, you know, and he was fairly young. And um, but I got to be a good daughter before he went. And I wanted Prince Charming, and my sponsor convinced me that, you know, he was looking for a princess, and I wasn't one. Ow. True, but ow. You know, it was like, you know, why don't you wait until you have something to offer? And the kids had come home, and I'd gotten out of the deli after the first year and gone back to health care. And, um, and I said, okay. I just got it. I got that I really wasn't healthy enough to have a relationship with a guy that I just, I knew what I was good at and I knew what I wasn't good at. It was too much. And to be an AA and be a mom and go to work and it was all going to be enough, more than enough to keep me busy. And, um, and, and Carl from the club brought me a car, free car. He comes over as soon as I got the kids back and knocked on the door because all I had was a bicycle. And I just gotten a job back in healthcare, which was some distance from the house. Just gotten into an apartment with my credit, and um, just God's in charge of all of it. You get what you need to get if you're going to stay sober, no matter what. And God knew I was, and that's what happened. I get these ugly, you know, gifts and ugly wrapping paper from God. There. God's gifts come in ugly wrapping paper sometimes. They look like you're getting screwed. Looks like a bad gift. But inside, they would be like the things that make you you and build your character and make you kind of feel good about yourself and legitimate. And that's what kept happening to me. And Carl brings me a free car. It was a red Ford Pinto. <laughs> which I call a bottom in itself, you know. <laughs> I was just like, I don't mean to offend Pinto people, but I hate Pinto's. And I would never drive one, and I certainly wouldn't drive a red Pinto. And this is the free car I'm getting? I mean, only a couple of years, though. I don't want it. I'm thinking if people in AO bring you a car, I'm waiting for a Bobo. I am not going to jump at the first car that's brought to me. I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't be seen in it. So I thank Carl for bringing it, but I said I can't. And he goes, no, no, I want you to have it. You've worked hard and kids are home. And I said, no, I'm serious, I can't. And so he just kind of smiled and he said, okay. He went left. I called my sponsor because I had a phone now. And I said, oh, my God, you won't believe what happened. <laughs> you know, and so I tell her, like, she'll understand. <laughs> she said, you did what? She says, you called Carl. And you tell him you're so sorry. You're so ungrateful. But you're new. And that you would appreciate it if you bring back the car and forgive you for acting like that. I said, then do I have to drive it? You know, I mean, I don't really want to drive it. And that's how I got my one-year K. I mean, it was just sober, I'm not good. Drunk, I'm relaxed. Drunk, I throw up, I pass out, I'm not, I don't open mail, I don't get all worried about money. I spend it like I got it, I don't worry about it, and I don't care. I go to a place where there is no pressure on me at all. And if I could have stayed there without waking up sober all the time, I probably would have just died drunk because I did not know how to live every single day. It was just too much. And you guys taught me everything, everything. So far, you've taught me everything about what to do and when. 
And, you know, after a few years, I'm raising the kids. You guys are helping me with that. Transportation, all of those kinds of things. And the next thing I know, I meet Prince Charming. He drops dead a few years later from a heart attack. I got about five minutes, and I'll wrap it up. This is what I'm trying to say. Every single thing in God's world is perfect order. Mine isn't always. I needed help raising the kids. I needed help getting back to work. I needed help getting my amends made. I had, I needed help with everything. I needed help burying him unexpectedly. I needed help. Two heart attacks, open heart surgery. The next thing I know, I mean, I'm young. I had just done a 5K. I'm like, this is just crazy stuff. And then I look around, I think it's nothing compared to what other people I've seen go through. This program will make you stronger. It will make you legitimate. And it will give you kind of spiritual confidence if you stay busy. I've always had service commitments since I've got here. My kids um, have reduced eight grandchildren and two great-grandchildren. Um, my grandkids are six to 27 years old. They think I'm a regular grandma. They've never seen me drink. My two oldest are in the program. The two youngest are glad. <laughs> you know, I have a son that's been in Afghanistan for two years after eight years in the Marine Corps. And it's like, this world's like in perfect order. And the best thing I've got going for me is I'm the secretary at Thursday Night Women's Step Study. I am. I'm the bathroom cleaner at my home group Sunday morning. I'm an H&I person. You know, I'm a, I'll be a greeter. I will be a greeter. This thing has always come first. My kids thought they always came first. Every single thing in my life has been in perfect order. Yeah, I just have to accept the gifts and ugly wrapping paper. So thanks for having me. Thank you.